Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Monday Main Point. It is actually Monday this week when we're doing this, and so it is Monday, March the 15th, 2021. I'm here with uh, two of our other pastors. Uh, I'm Jonathan Hendricks. I'm an associate pastor here at Rosa Sharon Baptist. I'm here with Jeremiah Custer, our youth pastor, and our senior pastor, Pastor Jeff McCarthy. And uh, both of these guys are here. Blake is not able to be with us today. Um, so it'll be the three of us uh, continuing this discussion. We use Monday Main Point to do what we do anyway, which is sit around and the table and talk about the Sunday morning message, uh, not to necessarily criticize the, the deliverer of said message, but rather to, to dig deep into God's Word and to look at things that maybe uh, we don't always, uh, because of time constraints and things, we don't always have a chance to get into everything we research and so it's uh it's good to go back and it's also good just to recap for each other too i i, I learn a lot from these discussions and i hope those of you who tune in each week and listen to us that you're learning a lot as well so um so we're continuing on the uh sermons current sermon series that we're in right now which is fact checking the resurrection uh where we're looking at we're taking uh dr gary habermas's six minimal facts argument, adding a seventh to it. And uh, this past week, uh, I was privileged to deliver the message and was looking at, in particular, at the fourth line of evidence. And um, fellas, that's the early Christian creeds. And like I said yesterday, I, I think we mistimed that maybe a little bit because uh, <laughs> I, uh, I ended up delivering a message on the Christian creeds on the same day as Daylight Savings Time. Um, I, I joke about that because I think most people, if we're being honest here, I think most people would say, creeds, uh, I don't know that I want to listen to a sermon about creeds, right? No. I, mean, wh- I mean, what do you guys think of when I say creeds, like immediately? D- does, that, does that get you all excited and stuff, or is that just kind of dry, more dry academic stuff, more dry liturgy and things? Yeah, no, I, I don't know. It, because of church history, right? And I, when, when you ask that question, what do I think about? I immediately go to Apostles' Creed. Right? Sure, sure, right. Or the Nice, Nicene. Nicene Creed. Yeah. And all those creeds, that's church history. And then uh, I'm just not a huge fan of church church history anyway. So, so yeah, it, it feels dry. It feels uh, a little too liturgical, a little too high church right? sometimes. But it's still good to know those things. Yeah, for those of us who are like uh, low church Baptists, we, <laughs> we don't recite a lot of those creeds and things uh, on the regular. And so anytime you say creed sometimes, and of course then, Jeff, you've got the whole thing, and especially the Baptist, no creed but Christ. Right. You know, and so sometimes when we say creed, I think people think, automatically high church you know what i'm saying right and and you you did a good job explaining when you talk about creeds you're not talking about those liturgical things as far as uh things we recite just out of rote in memory but it was things that were preached and taught that they that they then passed on to others not as rote or or something like that but but as dynamic a message that this is who jesus is this is what happened. So creeds to me, a little bit more exciting. If you had said doctrine, I would probably be like, hey, I think I'm going to take off <laughs> this coming Sunday. I got a headache. I can't come in. But doctrine in itself, too, can be exciting. It's just the way we we present it. I think you did a great job presenting <laughs> presenting the evidence for the creeds and the early early messages of the, of the resurrection. Yeah, yeah. So I, uh, you're right. If we... All right, folks, today we're going to do systematic theology from the pulpit. Uh, the <laughs> Jeff's already asleep. Um, no, um, uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I would, if I was being honest, I would think the same thing you just said. But uh, in fact, when I heard the lecture that I referenced in, the, in, in yesterday's message, when I heard ha- uh, uh, Habermas give this lecture and he was like, I'm going to talk about the creeds, you know, from 30 to 55 AD, I'm like, oh, no, this... This is not going to be fun. But what I discovered was, is there's a lot of reason to get excited about this. Um, one, because, and, and this is why I started with it, the content of these creeds is so good. Um, and, and I understand if you weren't there yesterday, when I'm talking about creeds, we're talking about something that critical scholars are the ones that found these. The sort of academic scholars found these and discovered that there are certain patterns um, that we discover things that 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 are clear 
where the the author of the New Testament epistle or the author of the gospel or what, what have you is clearly using material that's being quoted that would have been around as a tradition. Like sort of the best way I know to think of it is like uh, almost like hymns and the reason or, or like songs. Right. And the reason why I say that is because there's a certain there's a certain rhythm to a lot of these um, that the, the the way that they're um, the way that the wording is put together is different and set and you can tell that it's set apart from the way that the 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 author is uh, normally is writing. It's kind of like if you've ever read Shakespeare, you can tell when Shakespeare switches from verse to prose, right? So it's something very similar here with with these creeds, and so. Um, to give you the best example, I think, and, and by the way, I said this yesterday, but I'll say it again. In a lot of your Bibles, these creeds are, are set apart. They actually indent them <clears throat> and set them apart from all the rest of the, um, the text. And so a lot of times you can find them that way. Not always, but a lot of times. But the one that's probably one of the best known creeds and the most, and the most important for yesterday's message anyway was my central text, which is, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8. Uh, we've quoted this one already because it's so central to the resurrection and the evidences for the resurrection, guys. So I'll, I'll quote it again here. Paul writes, For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one abnormally born, he also appeared to me. Now, what I said yesterday is, if you'll notice, there are four that's, right? And that's one of the reasons why they think that Paul is quoting some material here that he received. He says so, right? He says, I'm passing on to you, or I'm delivering to you, what I received. And so I thought a good place to start is, okay, well, what exactly did he receive in this? And so yesterday I spent a, 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 a bit of time running through some of these creeds. And uh, the thing that, that there, there are three things that come up in almost every one of these. And that is the deity of Jesus, the death of Jesus, especially the substitutionary death of Jesus. I didn't say that yesterday, but it's not just that he died, but that he died for our sins, right? And then the resurrection of Jesus. So deity, death, resurrection, and nearly, uh, Habermas says, 80% of these early creeds. I got into it a little bit, Jeremiah, um, but what do you think, I, I think it's important, but I'll ask you, do you think it's important that deity is being taught in these early creeds and keep in mind we'll get into this in a minute but the the point the point we're trying to make with this is that these early creeds were probably being passed around very very early on so um before paul even writes them down obviously he's saying i passed on to you what i received so um what do you think about the fact that the deity of Jesus, just start with the deity, because I know you're a big Old Testament guy and stuff, so tell me, let's talk about deity and why, why that's important. Yeah, so um, you said a few things in your sermon that were good. First, just go ahead and give us the, the good quote that was near the end about uh, uh, the earliest creeds being the most um Christ-centered creed. Yeah, no, so so yeah, that comes from um, uh, Richard Bauckham, who yeah. says that the earliest Christology is the, the highest Christology. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that comes from Bauckham. So yeah, he says that, and then also uh, you, you mentioned the Shema, right? So for Old Testament people and, and just for Jews in general, uh, that was like their creed that they held on to, that you could... You could ask anyone to quote, and you were supposed to write it on your forehead and write it down and teach it to your kids and all that stuff. So they, they knew this creed, which starts with uh, that there's one God. Right? The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Yeah. Right. And so 
creeds were important before the New Testament, and mm-hmm. it was centered on the fact that there was one God, you worship him, uh, that. But along with that, because remember when we think creeds, we think those, those early church history creeds. And I think critical scholars, they go to those creeds and say, so like the, creed, the Council of Nicaea, they meet in 325 A.D. That's 325 years after Christ. Right. And, and the thing that they're dealing with was the Arian controversy. And the only reason I bring that up is because it was all dealt on the fact, is Jesus God? Right. And so these critical scholars, they look at that and say, see, look, he wasn't God for 325 years. The church wasn't teaching that. Yeah, yeah. They had to, it, it became, they, they it developed into the fact that Jesus was God. But when we look at the these early actual creeds reported or recorded in Scripture, you see that, no, he was God from the beginning. These creeds were teaching that. And something you just mentioned uh, or, or mentioned there in, in 1 Corinthians 15 is that he appeared to Peter. He appeared to Cephas. Mm-hmm. Well, the only time recorded in the Gospels that Jesus re- that that Jesus appears only to Cephas is in John after the the Sea of Galilee uh, thing. Right. And he kind of affirms John. Uh, oh, sorry. He affirms Peter there in the book of John. Right. When he reinstates Peter, right? Well, I find that interesting because Corinthians is written before John. Right. Even even conservative scholars will say that First Corinthians was written long before John was. Mm-hmm. And so clearly this teaching happens before we even know the story of, mm. of, of Jesus yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, affirming Peter and, and going to Peter. I like that. Does that yeah. make sense? You know, that makes perfect sense to me. And so it's clear that this is being taught even before it's recorded down for us in the Bible. Mm. Um, these creeds are being taught. And this... Centered on the fact that Jesus was God. Of course, there's three things that it's centered on, but that that's the central one. Yeah, yeah. The other the other two things, Jeff, is that that he died. But again, not just that he died, right? But that he uh, that he died for our sins. Um, he uh, he says that in First Corinthians 15 in the, in, the, in the central text. But uh, some of these other ones that we um, that that I quoted yesterday. Um, uh, Let's see, the, the one who was delivered up, but this is from Romans 4, 25, talking about Jesus, who was mm-hmm. delivered up for our trespasses mm-hmm. and raised for our justification. Um, uh, you know, uh, the, um, uh, that one and the, the baptismal creed where um, I believe that one has to do with, with him. Uh, we confess with you about Jesus, Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You'll be saved. Of course, it's more on the resurrection, I, I suppose. But on, on both of those accounts, it seems as though in these creeds that it's not just that, okay, this Messiah figure died um, and God uh, brought him back, but that this death has implica- implications and the resurrection has implications as well. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, uh, well, I mean, obviously that Jesus died. There's no de- denying the fact and and so that was crucial to their message is that that yeah this jesus you know he died and but he also raised again so that 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 brings up the purpose of why did he die and raise again so right they had to realize that that he did this as a sacrifice as an atonement for our sins um and so you you see this theology this atonement theology coming to to play right here in these early creeds uh, Paul fleshes it out a lot later on in the epistles. Sure, uh, but Jesus Himself, you know, um, even from the very beginning, when when His uh, earthly father Joseph is told to name Him, He says, "Name Him Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sins." So mm-hmm. this whole idea that that He came to die for our sins is all part of the gospel too, and it's it's all been there as well. But it just kind of gets fleshed out in these creeds, so you so it helps you understand and. Um, to know what your message is and how to say the message so that people can understand it. And I guess you're probably going to go back to the Jehovah Lord. Yeah, well, yeah, you can talk about it, though. Go, go ahead, because I think that's well, neat. You know, with Jeremiah bringing up the Shema, then the whole point then is now, as you pointed out, and I think I pointed out uh, one time, too, in a sermon when I was like like doing doing research as well, I'm like, 
You know when they they put L O R D and it's all little capital letters. That's that's their way of writing Jehovah, which is the Greek translation of Lord that they use in the New Testament. When you look mm-hmm. at the Septuagint, which was the Greek translation of the Old Testament, right. it's the same word. Yeah. So if these people are saying that that Jesus is this uh, Shema, this this one true God, this Lord Jehovah, and you've killed him, and now he's come back to life. Um, it has a lot of implications, right? And a lot of uh, controversy, and it thrusts in the persecution that comes later. So it was very important for them to say who Jesus was, what he did, and why he did it. Yeah, for them to have a message that will tra- change their lives. And so you know, you we, we've kind of touched on this before, but um, and this is a little uh, along those same lines, a little off the topic, but. I keep coming back to this because, and, and N.T. Wright is the one that makes the case for this, the strongest, I think. But this, this preaching that they're preaching about that he died for us, this atonement theology that's coming out, this idea of a resurrection that is going to be um, not just his resurrection, but a resurrection that we can all now enjoy, right, because of what he's done, is so completely foreign to Judaism. It's not there. This idea, I mean, atonement is, but it's atonement through animal sacrifice, not atonement through God himself coming in. That's foreign. God wouldn't do that. Like the God of the Shema, the the way he intervenes to rescue his people, he always, you know, he uses, well, go back and think about it. He uses like Moses and stuff, but he doesn't do, he doesn't come in flesh and take care of it himself. And, and so for them to start talking like this, for them to be preaching like this and preaching this radically different doctrine, I think is significant. Right. And Paul even says, according to the scriptures, so for them to have this um, uh, idea of who Christ is and what he did for us, then they had to automatically then go back to their scriptures, which then two that come to mind you've preached on before. Um, Psalm 22 sure. and Psalm uh, Isaiah 53, right. which they clearly show that this Messiah figure, this son of David, this king is going to come and die. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's just bringing it full circle to, to, you know, the guys on the way to Emmaus. Well, that's what I was going to say. I was going to bring them up too. Right. Of the disciples. I mean, over and over and over, he, he spent time showing them, all right, this is how this stuff was fulfilled. And then Matthew does a great job when he writes his gospel to show clearly how the fulfillment of scriptures all came into play in Jesus's life. So it was just a way of um, helping them who were Jewish people with a, with a base knowledge of the Bible, the Torah, the scripture, mm-hmm. seeing how Jesus then fulfills these words. Yes. He, he becomes, he becomes the message now of, of salvation for everyone. Right. Um, and, and, and that, and that's, I was going to say that the, the, the the what we see at Emmaus, where Jesus Himself, Jeremiah, walks them through Scripture and shows them how all this was supposed to happen, right? And then I love the forty days thing. I, I I just think that was a cram session with Jesus, right? It's forty day lecture with Jesus, uh, post resurrection Jesus explaining to his and uh, followers how all this stuff works out because I they had to get this message from somewhere, right? They, they weren't getting it themselves clearly. And so I don't think this is something that's self-derived. And in fact, you know, um, you mentioned in, in relation to Jesus's godhood, uh, Jeremiah, that, that, uh, that uh, you know, how, how important that is. And, and when I think I even used a creed yesterday, one of the creeds that actually sounds like the Shema, um, uh, it comes from 1 Corinthians 8, 6, the one that's, <clears throat> Yet for us there is one God the Father. All things are for Him. Are, are all things are from Him, and we exist for Him. And there is one Lord Jesus Christ. All things are through Him, and we exist through Him. I and mean, that's giving clear equality there with with God. Philippians two clear equality with God, uh, which, which when in, in terms of speaking about Jesus, um, <laughs> you mentioned that that there are critical scholars look at and say, well. All that Godhood stuff happened in much later on, right? Three twenty-five and 
uh, the Council of Nicaea and stuff, and that's that's where you get all the godhood stuff. And even um, Bart Ehrman has a, a book that he wrote about um, the how Jesus became God, um, how Jesus became God, and he compares Jesus's rise to godhood with someone like Romulus. Uh, Romulus, if you don't know, is the one who uh, was, the, was the founder of Rome, right? And the Roman legend was that uh, he was uh, sitting there on the throne and uh, suddenly there was this big storm uh, and, and all this fog and then the fog lifted and the storm went by and Romulus wasn't there anymore. And so all the people said, oh, Romulus is now a god. Uh, they, they took him up into heaven and now he's a god. And so this coming up into heaven, that's how, but that's not the same story we're talking about here with Jesus. And, and, and it's not something that I think can develop over time. Um, and I want to talk about that a little bit before we get into some of these other dates and stuff, because we'll get into that. But let's just talk about just what, what we kind of know. Even if we know that, that um, the Gospels are, are written probably... I mean, critical scholars say the Gospels are written between plus 40 and plus 65 years after the events happened. We probably at this table would, would set those dates uh, earlier than that. I would say that we would probably look more at like plus 20 to plus 40, being something like that, with John being the latest. Um, but give, give critics here this plus 40 to plus 65 is that, do you think, for those who want to say, oh, this happened over time, these legends developed over time, um, this was something that, um, what, you know, as, as the story got told over and over, it's the telephone game that happens here. Is that feasible with plus 40 to plus 65 years after the fact? What do you think, Jeremiah? No, I don't think it is. I, I just don't think that's enough time for legend to develop like that because... In order for a legend to develop like that, you would need all the eyewitnesses to die, mm. um, so that nothing can be verified. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, then it turns into like because legend starts small. I think even Romulus and Remus, uh, they were raised by wolves, if right. I remember, and they become the founders of Rome. And of course, the legend just continues to grow, right? Right. Uh, up until twenty. Uh, 2015 when I'm sitting in college class learning about these guys it's clearly it's clearly uh, been embellished right Mm -hmm. well for the for the Bible and for for the Jesus myth or legend or whatever you want to call it there's just not enough time left because and Paul says it here even in 1 Corinthians 15 these people are still alive Mm -hmm. if it's legend if it's a lie just go ask people ask me I I saw the risen Jesus Peter saw the risen Jesus Uh, and then John we know John lives to like 95 AD and John teaches Polycarp, who lives to like 120 AD, right? So mm-hmm. you can you can verify at least until I don't know 90 years after Jesus' death uh, with with either an eyewitness or a disciple of an eyewitness, right? So it's just not enough time to develop a legend in the time, even in the time that the critical scholars give right. the dates of the book, even with those gospels. And th- and there's nothing really much that we see in the gospels. That runs contrary to the things that, that Paul is saying here in in First Corinthians or in any of the epistles that he writes, with the, which critical scholars would date earlier. You know, um, what's your think, thing, Jeff? Do you think the telephone game idea works at all? I mean, do you? Yeah. Well, when you think about um, the early church, the early believers, they were Jewish people. Mm-hmm. So, what would be their motivation to create this false god? this false person mm-hmm. um, to become God, which clearly, you know, would go against everything they were taught. Right. I mean, clearly it goes against everything that you don't worship man. You worship, because in the Old Testament, and all the stories of the Old Testament and all, anybody that set themselves up up as a, as a God as, or was referred to as a God, you know, pretty much were struck dead or... Something happened to him, you know. Well, I mean, they, they call Jesus a blasphemer because he he, he, he equates himself with God. Right? Yeah, and I mean, that was yeah. one of the things that they charged him with when the, the, the high priest confronted him, like, you know, are you the, are you the son of God? And he said, 
you, but yeah, you said I am, and then right. he rips his clothes, and what, right. what evidence do we need? Yeah. Um, so uh, even even pot, uh, pilot when he was before pilot, uh, you know, uh, he he wanted to know the truth, and he told him the truth, and but he didn't really want to do anything about it. Right. Um, the centurion, surely this man is the son of God. So so something really has happened. With this person named Jesus, mm-hmm. either he's who he said he really was, or he's the biggest lunatic in the world, and these guys are the worst than lunatics, right? For 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 saying this guy is a god if he's not, right? So there would be no real reason or motivation <clears throat> at all for them to create this legend of a person that is not really a god if he wasn't a god, right? And with like the Romulus Remus thing. It makes sense for them to do it because part of their uh, part of that Greek Roman culture is you know this the, the, these myths and legends and things that people can become godlike and stuff right? right and they want a conquest and and that was the whole rub with the disciples they were looking for this earthly Messiah and Jesus was showing that it's a it's a spiritual messiahship where the whole world then can come into my kingdom as opposed to just an, a group of small people. And, and be an exclusive club that nobody can get in unless you follow these rules and regulations. Right. So one of the things that um, when I mentioned that, that quote that, <clears throat> from Richard Bauckham that said, where he says the excuse me, the earliest Christology is the highest Christology, he'll say that the reason why that's the case is because of Hellenistic influence, right? That the, the Greek influence is coming in and actually making this idea of Jesus, Jesus being equal to God. But then you get someone like Bart Ehrman who says, no, I think that these these, cre- these creeds that are being taught, which clearly involve the deity of Jesus, are coming out of Jerusalem. They're coming out of Jerusalem. Yes. They're not coming out of, you know, the outside of Jerusalem or the, 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 the sort of Hellenistic places. This is coming straight out of Jerusalem. And <clears throat> that, that makes a difference. That's the reason why I brought that, that up yesterday. That makes a difference because if it's coming out of Jerusalem, <clears throat> then then it, it it's less likely, far less likely, that they're creating this as a myth, right? That 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 this is something that and especially if it's early. And so let's get into that a little bit, because I, I like this part, and this is really where I spent a good time of uh, uh, yesterday. So if the if the content of the creeds is Christ. And I think that it is, and, and, I, and showed you the deity, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. Then the impact of these creeds really is incredible, and and that's the second point that I got into, especially when we're trying to evidence the resurrection, because you have critical scholars who want to say, okay, we got to figure out a way to explain this resurrection myth, right? That this story of the resurrection. Clearly, it came from somewhere. Clearly, it had an impact. Clearly, it spread wide and was was accepted by many. How did it happen? How did how does something like that happen? And so critics go, well, maybe it's just the case that this happened because it was a legend and it developed over time. But as you guys have pointed out and we just discussed, that doesn't seem to wash. And so if it's you know if it's not that, then um, um, then, then what else is it? And, and uh, of course, I think that the best explanation is the, that it actually happened, right? Mm-hmm. But one of the ways, but we, we need to disprove this this telephone game theory. And while the the gospels are a good way to do that, I mean, we we you know we verify. Jeremiah, you mentioned if we're doing plus forty, even even plus forty to plus sixty five years after the fact, there's it's still verifiable you could mm-hmm. still go there'd still be people alive who knew what had actually happened even if you were just going just by the gospels and that's what a lot of people want to do when we're talking about the 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 the, the, uh, the resurrection and whether or not it happened people want to go to the gospels they want to go to acts and that that's understandable right but if we're talking about critics and critics are like well yeah but those things are written like plus 40 plus 65 years after the fact um and what we what we found out is that um, and and it, it, again this is all due to research of Dr. Gary Habermas. He, he spent he spent his lifetime developing this argument, and it's a good one. What we found out is we can do better than plus forty plus sixty five. Mm. 
um, we can do way better than plus 40 plus 65 which um, is 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 incredible we can he thinks and I think and and even Bart Ehrman will quote the quote I used from from him from Bart Ehrman he he's the one who was quoting Ehrman he said um, even someone like Ehrman says virtually no New Testament scholar today thinks that the things that Paul was quoting these creeds that he was quoting were any later than 30 AD wow. <laughs> so so these this deity death and resurrection stuff is actually on the table probably within months maybe even days I mean the the one that the the, the creed that uh, that if it, if it really was said there at Emmaus if we believe the the gospel according to Luke um, he says uh, the, the the it's the only creed that comes from the Gospels um, I don't know where is that one one second Luke 24 yeah Luke 24 and it's the one yeah uh, where they say the Lord has certainly been raised and has appeared to Simon mm-hmm. so I mean that's an early creed uh, and so there's they're saying that look that stuff was being around like day of that's day of kind of stuff right or, or a couple days after anyway so can we the, the the point that Habermas makes is can we take this and and establish using critically accepted text can we establish that Paul at least got this one creed from 1 Corinthians 15, the, the, the main one we're looking at, that he got this information very early on. And uh, I spent a good deal of time yesterday doing this, but you can, you can look at the dates of uh, Corinthians and Galatians. Both of those are well, well um, most, almost all critical scholars will accept that Paul did write these, that they were written, uh, that Galatians is written around 55 A.D., um, some think earlier, right? Um, uh, but that that what he's talking about there in Galatians really sets it up. Like he, first off, we know that Paul uh, is converted probably within what, guys? One to two years after the crucifixion? Is that is that conceivable? I mean, we don't think that it was longer than that. No. Nah. I mean, critical scholars it's think very that, early. Yeah, because... Well, I mean, he's there at the stoning of Stephen, but the stoning of Stephen happens pretty early on in the development of Christianity, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, the, the uh, Jewish people believe, and the Greek-speaking people believe, and then the rift comes when the uh, Greek-speaking widows weren't being taken care of. Mm-hmm. And so that probably took about, you know, maybe six months to a year for some conflict to arise in the church. Um, so, so if that happened like within a year, and then they... They, they solve it by ha- having these deacons, and all of them are Greek-speaking deacons. And then, of course, Stephen is stoned right after that. Mm-hmm. We don't know how, how many, if it was you know the very next day or took months or weeks. So probably within two years. Right. Uh, you've got Paul then, uh, you know, with instructions to go persecute and arrest and stop this thing from spreading even further. Right. So then, then he says in Galatians that he uh, he didn't go um, he didn't immediately consult with anyone. So he says I cl- clearly says in Galatians one seventeen I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who become apostles before me. Instead, I went to Arabia and came back to Damascus. Then after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to get to know Cephas. And I stayed with him for 15 days, but didn't see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. We'll hear about James, the Lord's brother next week. Mm-hmm. But but what what that means is, okay, so he, says he, so his conversion happens plus one or two years after the event. He doesn't do anything for three years. He goes into Arabia for three years, he says. He didn't go immediately to Jerusalem. Um, so he didn't meet up with any of the other apostles or anything. But then, after three years, so this now is about plus five years, he does go to Jerusalem, and he meets with Peter and James, the brother of Jesus, at Jerusalem. Only those two. Um, John isn't there, apparently. Um, and, and he even says, I'm not lying in what I write to you. God is my witness. He's like, no, look, I'm telling you the truth, right? This is what I did. 
Um, so what's the significance then, like plus five years after the events of Jesus's um, death, burial, and resurrection, he goes here to Jerusalem, um, and what what is the significance of that? I mean, like, wh- what do you think to talk about, Jeff? If you had the chance, right, you're, you're in Paul's shoes, you have the chance to go to Jerusalem, you're going to talk to Peter and James, the brother of Jesus, who's both leaders of the Christian church at the time, what are you going to talk about? Well, since Peter spent three years with Jesus, he'd probably want to know some of the things Jesus taught and some of the miracles and things like that that happened. And then James, the half-brother of Jesus, who spent his whole entire life with Jesus, and we'll find out this coming week he was a skeptic who then became a believer after he saw Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. He would probably have a lot of questions for him, too. Like, you know, he was your brother and you didn't believe? Like, tell me more about that. We don't know. I mean, it's, it's good for us to think about it, speculate. It would make a good movie, maybe. <laughs> or a Gnostic gospel, if you want to write one. But anyway, <laughs> I'm just kidding. So, uh, um, but yeah, I mean, he talked about what Jesus taught. Uh, maybe um, theology, this yeah. whole atonement stuff, uh, his Christology just kind of getting a better handle on it. And even the gospel, like, here's what I'm preaching and teaching to, and the Gentiles are believing, you know, um, you know, am I, am I teaching the right thing and preaching? Right. I think, I think they're clearly talking about the gospel. Yes. I think, I think, I think that Peter and James are probably, uh, uh, by the way, Bart Ehrman says even, um, I, w- I, I would love to have two weeks with Peter and uh, Peter and James, the brother of Jesus. I, that, you can't get any closer eyewitness testimony than this, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, Jeremiah, uh, a lot of scholars will believe, even even someone like Bart believes that Paul perhaps got this creed that he quotes in First Corinthians <clears throat> from that meeting with 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 Peter uh, and James that the fifteen day meeting, um, and and and. and I, th- I think that they're talking about the gospel. One, because the gospel is of most importance, right? But two, um, I also think that the reason why they're probably talking about the gospel here is because um, if you read Galatians, Galatians, Jeremiah, is all about the gospel. If you if you summarize Galatians, what would you say that Galatians is about? Just if you're trying to give somebody a, like a one or two sentence summary of Galatians, what would you say Galatians is centered on yeah so the the true gospel the one that that comes from god and is opposed to the false gospel which is that you have to become jewish or become circumcised before you can be a christian that there's prerequisites to being a christian right so paul mentioning this that he met with them uh and then then he says after 14 years, this is in Galatians 2. I didn't quote all this yesterday. <clears throat> he says, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas, and taking Titus along also. So Barnabas and Titus and he all go up to Jerusalem together. They go up to, according to a revelation, and present to them the gospel. That's when he pre. That's when he presents to yeah. This is these guys. When they, they, right. That's when he presents to them the gospel that he's preaching among the Gentiles, so that I can check that I might not be running or have been run the race in vain. I want to make sure that what I'm saying is right. And he says, now from those recognized as important, what they really were makes no difference to me. God doesn't show favoritism. That's he throws that little aside in there. He says, they added nothing to me. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised, just as Peter was for the circumcised. Since the one at work in Peter for an apostleship to the circumcised was also at work in me for the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, recognized as pillars, acknowledged the grace that had been given me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to me and Barnabas, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. And they asked only that we would remember the poor, which I made every effort to do. So that's that's Paul, right? Paul is saying that. So within five years of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, um, Paul has this meeting with James and with Peter. And it perhaps at that point he received the gospel. Maybe he was checking what he had already received, perhaps uh, some think that maybe he might have even encountered Jesus 
in those three years that he was in Arabia. Um, but regardless, I think maybe he received that creed um, that's being that's being quoted over and over because that doesn't sound like it's coming from him necessarily. Um, and it was probably being early taught by these other guys. So I think that, that he's receiving that creed there, Jeremiah. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and let's be honest, if you're, if you're Paul and you're spending two weeks in Jerusalem verifying these things, I think he does exactly what he tells us to do in the creed, which is he goes and finds those 500 people, mm. which he say, I mean, he even verifies, look, some of them are still alive. Right. Which the only way to verify that is to go and talk to them, right? Mm -hmm. To find those. Mm -hmm. So he's doing the same thing. But yeah, I mean, early. That's five years. And obviously we believe it's even earlier. But at the latest, five years, right? Right. Uh, where Paul Paul is getting this, this creedal type uh, information about the resurrection. Right. Um, and so so then, then he goes and has that stuff checked out with... Jeff with the leaders and the leaders all say yeah what you're preaching is exactly what we're preaching and it lines up with what we've been preaching right and so this is only at this point we're talking 14 15 16 17 18 within 20 years right well, and what's interesting too with Paul uh, and I know we're going to be preaching about Paul a couple of weeks from now but when Jeremiah just brought that up I mean think about it the people that he interrogated and arrested Probably a lot of them were saying, yeah, Jesus is resurrected. So he knew a lot of them probably by name because he had a list. Uh, and so uh, it's just real amazing how all this stuff just comes together when you think about it, how God connected it all to happen. But, but now he, he's getting this. He's got this information. He's verified it. And now he's preaching it, and he's seeing people's lives changed. Right. And now he's like, this This is beyond me. Um, it's bigger than all of us. And that's when his theology and all starts becoming more and more developed. Right. So the cool part about all this is is that based on what we're seeing here, we can, we can establish that within five years at least of – that's when Paul receives – Yes. The the thing. But it was already being taught before this five years, so we can get even closer than five years. And 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 then, like I said... Yeah, a lot of people didn't trust Paul either when he showed up. He's like, well, hold on a minute. That's the guy that's been persecuting the church. We don't really trust him. Right, and Thomas right, <laughs> is, is persecuting the church. Yeah. Why was he persecuting the church? Well, because they were preaching this stuff about Jesus being God, right? Yeah, I mean, yes. So, so it's very possible that even before his walk to Damascus, even before that happened, he heard the gospel. He was well, he yeah. They heard were the people. Well, they were it. preaching the stuff that's in the creeds. Yes, right. The deity, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is not something that developed after the fact. Yes, long after the fact. Y'all know how much I love uh, Emmaus. Right? right. It's so key for me. But it's the day of Jesus' resurrection. And remember the first words that the disciples say to Jesus, who they don't know is Jesus. And they're like, dude, are you the only person in Jerusalem that hasn't heard? Like, yes. are you the only hermit? <laughs> right. Introverted? Like, <laughs> what rock have you been hiding yeah. in? Right. So clearly it's been taught to everyone in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. Well, not everyone, but they believe that everyone knows. This, right. this is, and that's the day of. Right. And this creed that they kind of share is, is being passed on the day of his right. resurrection. Right. And then you've got someone, uh, you know, later on Paul will say to Festus, look, this stuff wasn't done in a corner. Yes. Right. This stuff wasn't done in, in, in hiding. This has been out in secret. Everybody knows about it. Everybody knows what's being preached. And we didn't get into this, Jeff. You know, we're kind of running out of time here. But, you know, you and I talked about uh, even if you go, even if you want to go to Acts and you look at some of these sermon summaries. Mm -hmm. Um, the, 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 the things that were being preached uh, that Luke records, um, like Acts 3, 13 through 15, where he says, the God of, this is a sermon summary, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you, whom you handed over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one. Only holy and righteous one is God, right? Yeah. You denied the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer given to you. And you killed, listen, you killed the source of life. You killed the source of life. You, I mean, you can't get much higher in a Christology right. than that, right? 
Uh, you killed the source of life whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this. I mean, yes. that's being preached in, in Acts. And so this material did not develop over time. We don't have to wait till the Gospels come along to know about what Jesus is. But even if we did, it was still, that even, even if you did, it would still be verifiable. But we don't have to do that. We have good evidence, as we've outlined here, to believe that, that this stuff about Jesus' death and resurrection and his deity was being taught really early on. Um, very early on, not enough time for a new religion or a new legend to develop, but uh, plenty of time for things that Jesus had probably taught, like you said, in those 40 days um, with, with, or the, you know, with Emmaus, with the disciples of Emmaus, that Jesus was teaching this stuff very early on to his followers who then passed it on to others. And I guess um, with this last few minutes, let's just talk about, okay, so so what, right? Um, this is all a great exercise in academics and stuff, but why does it matter, Jeremiah? Why, why does it, um, what's, the, what's the overall impact for the average person of what we just discussed? Yeah, I mean, I guess the deity of Jesus, right? So the reason we're not just theists, the reason we're not even Jewish, mm. right? We're called Christians. And so the deity of Christ is important for us because if Christ is not God, we're wasting our time. Yeah. Uh, so that's why I think when the rubber hits the road, you don't, you don't really want people saying, look, that, that the, store, the deity of Jesus was developed over time, over 300 years or whatever, no, he wasn't really. Uh, he wasn't really God. He he was just a legend and all that stuff. Uh, if that's true, then we're sank. Like we're sank without a ship, right? Like mm -hmm. so. The, for me, it's it's the deity of Jesus and and being able to verify that at least the pillars of the church, the disciples, of course, the changed lives from last week, all affirm the deity of Jesus, um, and the resurrection affirms that too. Right. So. Jeff, for the for the average person um, sitting in the pew who hears this, um, what what's the impact, right? What what what's the impact of what's the upshot of all of this? What can we learn from 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 Paul from First Corinthians fifteen three that 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 actually affects us right where where we are? Well, I mean, it gives us confidence that we have a message that is true, mm. and that is a message that can change lives. Uh, even Gamaliel, Paul's professor and mentor in that arrest of the apostles told 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 his advice was just leave them alone mm. this is something man made up this you know like these other faults of messiahs it's going to go away but if it's of god you can't stop it yeah and so it started two thousand years ago and it certainly hasn't stopped now right and it's it's faced persecution and people have come against the gospel from the very beginning and they're still coming against it uh, but if you accept that message it changes your life if you reject that message your life will be changed too but in a dramatically wrong way yeah and so it gives us confidence that we do have a message a message of salvation uh, so that you know I'm getting ready to preach a funeral here in just a few moments it gives hope to people that you know there is life beyond this life there is eternal life there is a resurrection um, and that one day we will be in the presence of Christ um, because we believe it, not because we experienced it. Jesus didn't walk into this uh, room right here today. Right. But because he did, then we can have faith that when we accept him into our life, his spirit comes to live inside of us and we will see him again one day too. Yeah, yeah, that, that's great. I, I like what both of you all said. Um, I would say too that that if if indeed as we believe that this is true, then you just can't leave it on the table. You've got to do something with it, right? And and you've got to you've got to do what Paul did. He said, "This is of primary importance, and uh, I'm delivering to you what I also received." You got to receive it for yourself, but then I don't think you can just receive it and hold on to it. Like I said yesterday, I think you also have to do what Paul did. If this is true, this is life changing news. You just said it, Jeff. And it's hope beyond this grave. It's hope beyond or hope beyond the grave. Hope beyond this life. That's what I want to say. 
And if it's if it's that kind of hope, that's the kind of hope that we need to be proclaiming uh, with loud voices to all those that we are, are can can come in contact with. I mean, really, this is life changing news. If it was like you know, if you, you know, <laughs> think about just think about things like COVID. You know, we have a we spent everybody was was affected by this disease, right? And we were all scared of this disease, and we knew that it was possible that any one of us could get it. And we saw friends of ours getting it. And we saw people get sick. We saw people die yet, right? even in our own church. And then all along, there's people developing a vaccine, right? And, and, and it's also that we can have this vaccine so we can have hope and beat the disease. That's, that's, the, that's the goal. Yeah. What if these research companies had developed this vaccine in secret and only given it to a few people, right? They have the hope. They have the answer. But then they just keep it to themselves, and they never give it to anybody else. I mean, we we the, people would be up in arms. There would be they would be like rioting, you know. And and if it ever got out that yo, you mean you had this news and you didn't tell me you had the you had the cure and you didn't tell me about it. You know, we've got a cure. We certainly need to tell people about it. We have a source of hope that's that's beyond a vaccine, right? It's better than a vaccine. And uh, it's Jesus Christ. Well, next week we're going to be talking about um, James, the brother of Jesus. Man, I, I can't tell you, Jeff, how excited I am for you to do this one. Because uh, when we started talking about the six minimal facts, uh, you know, we, we said, this one, is, this one is the toughest one, I think. I think it's the, I think it's the hardest one to go to, to Scripture and find. Uh, we, know, uh, we know a lot about James, the brother of Jesus from the Gospels, right? Uh, and then we find him pop up here in Galatians, and like, so I'm looking forward to next week. I think I think it's I think it's key. I do think it's important, uh, especially in terms of uh, fact checking the resurrection. So hopefully you're as excited as I am about that. Uh, we'll be here next week, next Monday at the next Monday main point. We'll be here to talk about all that and much more. You all have a great week, and we'll see you soon. So long.